curious tonight, how many of you would say that God has blessed you? Anybody? How many would say that God has blessed you? Now, how many of you will be honest about this? And there's no shame in admitting it. How many of you would say, I would love to be even more blessed? Hold your hand up high. Oh, Brother Ralph done got up. We done got him up off the front row. And when I say more blessed, I'm talking about experiencing the divine presence of God everywhere you go and seeing those divine coincidences as God goes before you. And I've got good news. If you want to be more blessed, you can because we're going to teach some principles on how to do that. But I will tell you this. If you would like to live a more blessed life, a key verse to help us is Acts 20 and 35. These are the words of Jesus, and he actually said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Oh, some of y'all lost y'all. Y'all was on board. That's what Jesus said. Indeed, in God's economy, you will be more blessed if you're a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual consumer. Meaning God wants to work through you so that you can be a blessing to others. That's why he blesses us, so that we can bless others. So if you have the capacity to address a need with your money, your time, and your encouragement, then we should be used by God to give and meet that need, and God will return the favor. Now watch this, Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 38. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I'm a conduit. If I forgive, then I'm forgiven. Verse 38, it's our favorite offering scripture. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. But here it is. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. If we as believers can internalize this truth, it can unquestionably change our lives when we realize it is more blessed. Everyone say more blessed. Say it again, more blessed. It is more blessed to do what? To give than to receive. Now, I'm not going to give it away yet, but I do want to tell you, Jesus is dealing with the heart. We use it for money, but money's not mentioned in that, those two verses. He's dealing with the heart because he wants to make sure that our heart's pure. Our motives are right. That we're doing the right things. I want God to be able to trust me with his favor. You hear what I just said? I want God to be able to trust me with his favor. So let's pray. God, thank you for an opportunity to gather. I'm going to teach your word, God. I feel like in clear direction today. And I pray your divine favor over every individual. Let us leave here understanding what it is to be blessed by you. And how, God, that we should operate in those blessings and that favor. I pray over everybody watching, everybody here, that your word will bring revelation and light to our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You may be seated.
tonight. I read this story the other day. I don't know how true it is, but it almost sounds wild enough to be true. You ever read a story? You're like, man, that might be wild enough to be true. New York City is basically concrete and steel. Has anybody ever been to New York City? I've been once. I don't ever want to go back. Sorry, Sister Madison. New York City is basically concrete and steel, but they have around 8 million cats and 11 million dogs. Now, I don't know who counted that, but that's what they have in New York City. So if you have a pet in New York City and that pet passes away, you can't just go out in the backyard and properly bury your animal. The city said that for $50, they will take care of the deceased animal. So one lady was enterprising and she thought, you know what? I can offer a service to people in the city and save them money. So she placed an ad in the newspaper that said, when your pet dies, I will come and take care of it for $25. This lady would go to the Salvation Army, and she would buy an old suitcase for $2. Then when someone would call about their pet, she would go to the home and put the deceased pet in the suitcase. She would then ride on the subway where there were some thieves that she knew were there. And she would set the suitcase down and would act like she wasn't watching. And a thief would come by and steal her suitcase and she would look up and say, wait, stop. Don't steal my stuff. How surprised do you think the person who stole those suitcases were <laughs> when they opened them up? How surprised? Can you imagine? You think you're getting something valuable and you got somebody's pet that passed away. Now, a pet is valuable. I got a, I got a little dog. And when she passes away, I'm going to cry. Just take my man card if you want to. It's going to be a sad day. But they thought they were getting something valuable. But they didn't get what they thought they were getting. And many are like these thieves. We grab what we think will bring us happiness. Only to find that it doesn't quite deliver because life took its toll. You see, the often used lens to happiness is the, is the one described by the advertising companies. Acquire, retire, and aspire to drive faster, dress trendier, and drink more. Happiness depends on what you hang in your closet, park in your garage, mount on your trophy wall, deposit in your bank account, or the thrills you experience. Happiness happens when you get the date, find the mate, or discover your fate. Yet for all its promise, it always fails to deliver. Think about it. I was happy and healthy, but then sickness and disease took my health. Now I'm not happy anymore. I had a good job, but the economy broke down and I lost it. I was happy, but someone I loved broke my heart and let me down. And I put all my happiness in them. And now that they broke my heart, I'm no longer happy. Oh, let's talk about the pleasures of sin. The Bible says they were good for a season. <laughs> they were enjoyable. But what does sin leave? It leaves us empty and broken, and then we're still searching for this elusive pursuit of happiness in our life. Worldly happiness is here one day and tomorrow scattered by the winds of a storm. Yet still we keep searching for it, longing for it, this sense of contentment and well-being. And worldwide, people profess that happiness is their most cherished goal. 
The most popular class in, in the three-century history of Yale University is on happiness. Can you believe that? Marketing companies get this. Television commercials make grand promises. Want to be happy? Buy this. Want some joy? You need this. Desire a dose of delight? Eat at this restaurant. Drive this car or wear these clothes. And nearly every advertising strategy portrays the image of a joy-filled person. Happy as could be. Pointing us toward this elusive pursuit of happiness. But you know what the truth is? And I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. The truth is fewer people are finding what real happiness is. Only one-third of Americans surveyed said they were happy. One-third. In the nine-year history of the Harris Poll Survey of American Happiness, the highest index was 35%. This means a cloud of perpetual greatness overshadows two out of every three people. So if this is true, there are two out of every three people in this building that are not happy and that do not feel blessed. Can we be real? Smiles are in short supply. And by some estimate, estimates, clinical depression is 10 times more rampant now than it was a century ago. People are more depressed than they've ever been in their life. People are more down, more discouraged. People are more angry. I ain't never seen so many angry people in all my life. People angry. They just mad at everybody. Look, I don't even look at people when they blow the horn at me. I just look straight ahead because people are angry. I did blow my horn at somebody the other day, but I repented right afterwards. I blew it loud, too, for about two minutes. I did. I did, but I kept my hands on the steering wheel. I promise you that. I did. Why? 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 Even in the kingdom of God, think about it. This isn't just in the world. Even in the kingdom of God, people seem to be miserable. Why? Because we are looking through the wrong lens. Let me give you a word. Promiscuity, drugs, alcohol, entertainment, fame, and material things will not bring fulfillment to your life or mine. Going to church and going through the motions will not bring fulfillment to your life or mine. But there's another option. There's another option to feeling blessed. It requires no credit card. Somebody better shout amen. It don't require a monthly mortgage or luck of fortune. It demands no airline tickets or hotel reservations. It stipulates no Ph.D., M.D., or blue blood pedigree. You don't have to change jobs, change cities, or change neighborhoods. But you might have to change your lens if you want to feel blessed. The motto of one lens says this, happiness happens when you get. That's what it says. That's what the world is telling us. Get, 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 get. And you'll be happy. Look, I've got a lot of stuff. None of it's made me happy. Matter of fact, a lot of it's made me broke and miserable. But the motto of the other lens is happiness happens when you give. Doing good does good for the doer. You need to write that down. Doing good does good for the doer. Look, and research bears this out. Let, I want to get out of the Bible for one second. And I want to show you something that's been proven. When volunteers were put in an MRI scanner and were told they would be giving some of their money to charity, the areas of their brains associated with pleasure lit up like Christmas trees. 
Why is that? Why do you think that when, when they were told you're going to be able to give to charity and be a blessing, why did their brains light up? I could tell you because giving triggers dopamine. The creator created us to be givers. And if we want to feel better about life, we've got to learn how to give to people that are less fortunate, that are hurting, that are down and out, that are discouraged. Can't be takers. And that's why the words of Jesus are spot on. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when you do, it has a boomerang effect. Anybody know what a boomerang is? Well, I'm taking it way back. I don't know how it works, but you throw a boomerang, it's supposed to come back to you. Happiness happens when we give it away. It's a boomerang effect. When we do right by people and we do the right thing and our heart's in the right place and we want to live a life of blessing and we're not trying to rip people off and we're not trying to be a scoundrel and we're not trying to manipulate anything. We're just doing what we can do, the best we can do with what we have. It always brings blessings back to your life. It's happiness and giving. And this is such great news because you can't control your genetics. You aren't in charge of the weather. I don't care how much you pray. You can pray. He might send rain, but you're not in charge of it. You're not in charge of the traffic. That would be the case every time I'm coming home from Baton Rouge about 3.30. There would be no traffic on the road. We're not even in, in control of the economy. What are we going to do? But I can tell you what you are in control of. You're in control of putting smiles on people's faces that are broken and tired and weary. You can lower the anger level in your community. You, yes you, you can help people to sleep better, laugh more, hum instead of grumble, and walk instead of stumble. That's what I can do as a Christian and as a believer. I can do good to other people. You can enlighten the load and brighten the day of others. And don't be surprised when you begin to sense a newfound joy yourself because fresh oil is always multiplied in the outpouring. Look, if you've got oil, if you're a pond, anybody know a, a pond doesn't have an outflow. If all you do is, is take in oil in your life and it just sits there and it never flows out of your life, you know what's going to happen? It's going to become stagnant and stale. And it's going to attract flies. And the flies will spoil the anointing in your life. Nobody going to want to be around you. Trying to eat, you got flies. I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. People trying to eat and all you're talking about is how bad everything is. It's never going to get better, how bad people are. And you don't realize that that oil has become stagnant in your life. And it's not producing any joy in anybody else's life. This is what this series is about, the unexpected door to living the blessed life. And standing at the entryway to welcome you at this door is Jesus Christ. Jesus was accused of much, but he was never, ever described as grumpy or self-centered. Never. They accused him of a lot, but they could not say he was grumpy or self-centered. People didn't groan when he appeared. Oh, here's Jesus. Now, some of the Pharisees probably did, but not the hurting or the broken or the tired or the weary. They didn't evade him when he entered the room. He called them by name. He listened to their stories. He answered their questions. He visited their sick relatives and helped their sick friends. He fished with fishermen and he ate lunch with the little people and spoke words of resounding affirmation. He went to weddings. 
He went to so many parties that he was criticized for hanging out with rowdy people and questionable crowds. Yet thousands came to hear him and hundreds chose to follow him. His purpose statement read this. I've showed up to give life and to give life more abundantly. He said, I showed up to make others' lives better. And when the angels announced the arrival of the Messiah, they proclaimed good news of great joy. Not bad news of a great obligation. Listen, as believers, we've got to portray this as great and good news of joy. Not bad news of great obligation. Man, I'm going to the house of God again. I've got to go serve and help out, man. I just got to go. Bah humbug. I just saw it's just an obligated thing. I just, man, I got to go. Here we go. This is just what I do. No, I get to go to the house of God. I get to go in my community and share the love of Jesus Christ. I get to bring people into the kingdom of God. I get to give to the poor. I get to help. <laughs> Scripture has more than 2,700 passages that contain words like joy, Happiness, gladness, merriment, pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, jubilation, feasting, blessing, and exaltation. Why is that? Because our, our joy level matters to God. And this is no superficial happy talk. Jesus spoke candidly about sin, death, and the needs of the human heart. Yet he did so with hope and wants us to do the same. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. We should be hope dealers in living in the kingdom of God. We should be giving people as much hope. I can give somebody correction and give them hope at the same time. I can give somebody instruction and give them hope at the same time. How? By having a heart to give because doing good does good for the doer. In our text, Jesus said, Luke 6, 37 to 38, Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. That makes me want to do good to people. Because if I do good to people, then what that's saying is God, God's going to do good in my life. And God has a lot more good to give to me than I have to other people. And we use that, and I've, I've used it a ton of times getting up here and saying, if you give, God will give back to you. He'll bless you. He'll bless you beyond measure. He will bless you pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He'll pour it into your life, and that's great. But the word money is not mentioned here in Luke 6 and 38. As a matter of fact, when we think about the word give, we consider money. But Jesus is talking about something greater than money in this in these two verses, he's talking about the heart. He's talking about the heart. Now, let me say this. I'm not going to, we, we will get into money in the series because I don't mind talking about it because the Bible talks about it. But Jesus did say where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Some people will say, well, I don't want to go to church or I don't want to be a part of anything because they're after my money. Can I tell everybody here, thank you for giving, but there's nobody here after anybody's money. I've never chased anybody down and said, hey, you three weeks late on tithing. We're going to repo your car. <laughs> Look, I'm a preacher. I'm not a collector. Because at the end of the day, you're grown people. You choose to do with your money what you want to do with your money. 
But I will tell you, our hearts are connected to our wallets. Because our heart always follows our treasure. Are you ready? I'm going to give you an example. If you put treasure in stock, then you put money in stock. And you'll start going to the internet daily, checking to see how that stock's doing. You've never looked at stock in your life. But you made an investment, and now you care about the investment that you made. So you go and you see, is my treasure okay? If you want your heart in the kingdom, you put your treasure into the kingdom. And I'm going to say this, and, and I've said it before. If every member of this church paid tithing and gave offering, we would grow the kingdom of God rapidly. Rapid. There wouldn't be nothing. Vessels building a church right now, we'd be that fun, help fund them building that. We would be able to help Revival Church in New Orleans. We already give 10% of every offering. If everybody put their treasure in the kingdom of God, we wouldn't have to have Build My River. Why I've got that. I'll go ahead and make this insert. Hey, Build My River did great. We built this building, but it's not paid for. It's dropped drastically. So please, if you made a pledge, we need it because we've got to advance the kingdom. We're not done building or helping. Jim, we got sober living houses we got to build. We got a pavilion we got to build for our kids and our community. There's things we got to do in the kingdom of God. I promise you this, and I didn't mean to get off on this. The river will never take money and just put it in the bank and let it sit there. We're going to be a conduit. Money's going to come in. It's going to go out. We're going to build. We're going to make the kingdom of God greater, not just here, but overseas, home missions, churches. We're going to plant more churches. Look, I'm, I'm casting vision. I'm not. We got a church we got to build in Hammond. That's got to happen. We, we're approved for that. We got to go over there. We got to build it. But we can't do it if financially we don't have the money to do what God has called us to do. But if everybody did their part, then the kingdom of God would advance so much faster. And I get it. No one is a natural born giver. Not even me. We are all born takers. We entered this world with a fallen sinful nature. And at, at the heart of that nature is a tendency to toward selfishness. It's a tendency to say, me, 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 give to me. Now, I wrote this down today. I didn't get this out of no book. This is me and the Holy Spirit in prayer today. How do I know if I'm leaning toward being self-centered? Number one, everywhere, everywhere we try to help becomes a place of contention and awkwardness. That's number one. Everything we try to do in the kingdom of God, there's, t there's contention and awkwardness, and we're like, man, what, what's going on? Why? Number two, we shut down and quit when things don't go our way. Number three, we take until we're required to give, but then we bow out because we just want to take, but we never want to put or invest back into. Number four, we only want compliments, but never instruction or correction. Number five, and when people don't agree with us, they're no longer our brother or sister in the Lord. They become our enemy. How to know if I'm leaning toward being selfish. So it's not just a financial issue, but it's a heart issue that Jesus is dealing with. And that's why Jesus talks about judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness in these verses. He's saying kingdom people won't judge and condemn others according to their own standards. And those who do will find their own standards 
used against them as they're judged and condemned by God. So when I take my standards and I put them on somebody else and I judge somebody else according to me, not the word, my standards, then God's going to judge me according to my standards. That's why people that's got skeletons in their closet, but they preach so hard against everything or they talk to everybody about everything's a sin, and they come to find out they have some things in their, their closet because that judgment eventually turned around and came on them. Can we, can we preach a little while? We got to talk about it. I have to be careful because what I put on other people, eventually God's going to turn around and say, I'm going to use that standard of judgment against you. You want to put that on other people? Watch, watch what I'm getting ready to do. And like I said, his judgment It'll keep you up at night when you think about it. It will. That's why I want to be, I want to be gracious. I want to be merciful. Then he says, giving it will be given to you implies kingdom men and women will give generously in time of prayer, finances, and service. Remember this, because I'm going to cover it in a minute. Kingdom people realize that they are not their own source because all they have has been given to them on loan from heaven. So they bless others with what God has given them. They show up ready to serve with a smile. And God will reward such sacrificial generosity done in his name with overflowing spiritual and physical blessings. This is, this is God's principle of exchange. And it's activated when we first minister to the needs of others. Then he raises up people to minister in return to us in the same area of need. And it's a continual healthy cycle. I minister to others. God raises somebody up. They minister to me. And it's a cycle of blessing. And a church that is blessed. Listen, a church that is in constant contention. And look, we got 500 people here. And I get it. You're going to have contention. We're all different. We're all diverse. Some of us are laid back. Some of us are temperamental. But when contention arises, if we'll address it and say, you know what, let's deal with it right now and handle it because I want to live the blessed life and I want the river to be blessed and I want souls to be added to the kingdom. And I start ministering to other people, God raises somebody up to help me. So if we're going to live the blessed life, we must deal with a selfish heart. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with it. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 8. If among you one of your brothers should become poor and any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Verse 8, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. I do want to say this. There's a difference between helping and enabling. There's a difference. So let's make that clear. But what this verse is saying is if you have somebody that is trying their best and they can't seem to get it together and they keep struggling, then what you do is you help them. It's saying your brother comes and asks you to borrow or asks to borrow from you. You open your hand and willingly lend to him. And if you do that, you open your heart to your brother. Now let me say this. He's telling the people of Israel, I want you to be generous like I'm generous. They were not to be hard-hearted or tight-fisted so let me ask you a question why did God create giving have you ever thought about that why did God create giving you can answer you, you don't have, there's no wrong answer why did God create giving it came from God one of the one of the greatest verses that we use is for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever 
believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We use that. But why did God create giving? And look, it, it's hard to preach. It's hard to preach this because I immediately jump off the bandwagon when preachers start saying, if you give, God's going to give. If you give, you're going to get from God. And I agree with that. That's powerful. It's biblical. But that cannot be the only reason that we give in the kingdom of God. We have to give because giving more than any other activity that a believer does works selfishness and greed out of our lives. There's no way you can be selfish and greedy if you're giving to people or giving in the kingdom of God. So it's not just about what can I get. And we don't need a revelation of getting. We need a revelation of giving. And my point is we are all selfish, but the default, it's the default condition of the human heart. Our human heart says hoard and avoid sharing with anyone. But then a loving father comes to us and says, I want you to deal with this wicked, selfish heart, and I want to make you a giver. I want to make you like me. I want you to give to people to show them that I gave to you. I want you to love people because I loved you. Secondly, giving helps us deal with a grieving heart. Deuteronomy 15 and 10, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Notice that the reward for being a giver is a blessed life. God says he will bless you in everything you put your hand to and in all your works, but he instructs us not to grieve in our hearts after we have been obedient and giving. You know what that's called? Buyer's remorse. People that sell big ticket items like houses and cars, they understand this. I don't know if you've ever went and bought a vehicle, but immediately the next day you have buyer's remorse. You're like, man, why did I just spend that money on that vehicle? You buy a house, it's great for about the first month, and then that note comes in and you got to pay it, and you're like, man, why? That camper was great. We was living large there. We had money to go eat. Now we can't even go down to Applebee's and get a two for 25. Is that still a thing? Inflation got it. It's two for 45 now. Can't even, can't even get that. Same thing happens in the kingdom of God. Selfishness attacks us before we give, but grief attacks us after we give. Why did you give that? Man, I know the Holy Spirit told you to help them, bless them, bless the kingdom. And now all of a sudden we're like, man, why did I do that? Why? We got buyer's remorse. That means you must guard your heart not only before you give, but you've got to guard your heart after you give. Because you'll give to somebody that will let you down and you'll be like, man, why did I give to them? No, the Holy Spirit led you to give to them and you did what God told you to do. Now guard your heart. Have you ever given or made a commitment? And then the enemy comes immediately to you and says, you shouldn't have done that. He comes in and the grief sets in and, and he says, man, you shouldn't have gave. Why did, why did you give? Why'd you, why did you take on that responsibility? Well, the Holy Spirit told me, nah, well, look, look at you now. Look at what's going on in your life. I've never done this before, but I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good in my spirit. Does anybody have a $100 bill? Man, I appreciate that. Ooh, going to Applebee's tonight. Anybody want to go? 
If it's two for 45, we can do four people at Applebee's. We'll even get an appetizer. If the bill's over, you'll pay for it. Thank you. You know why he jumped? Nobody else jumped up to give me a $100 bill. <laughs> I was lazy. I was ready. You know why he jumped up so quick to give me this $100 bill? Because I gave it to him before service. It really belonged to me all along. It was mine. So it didn't bother him a bit to give me $100. Look, he's not, he's not mad about it. He's not out of any money. Now, he could have left and went home. I mean, the Lord would have got him, but he could have went home. But he's not grieving because it was never his to begin with. Our time, talent, and treasures were given to us by God. They're not ours. They don't belong to us. Come on, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So when I give it back, it never belonged to me anyway. It never. So I don't have to grieve over it. I don't have to be like, man, why I, it never belonged to me. Let, let's be honest, and I know the world won't teach us this, but, but the job we have, God allowed us to have that job. Look, Brother Ken, I didn't give him no money, but he gave it to me. Put that toward build my river. But I don't have to grieve. I don't have to grieve when I show up for two hours and serve in the kingdom of God and I'm in the foyer greeting people and smile. I don't have to grieve because God gave me a gift to greet people. I'm going to use my gift to advance the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy 15. Look at this, man. We're putting all that toward Bill my river right there. We blessed. We don't have to grieve that. God gave it to us. That's why we have... Can anybody testify that you was at a place in your life, you didn't have a vehicle, have a home to live in, you were broke, and then all of a sudden God turned your life around. You got a roof over your head, food on the... I'm blessed. I may not have everything I want, but I have everything I need. I am blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Come on, we... I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Watch. I'm blessed. Listen, I'm blessed. Watch this. Watch this. Let me give you this scripture, and I, I'm hurrying. Musicians, come on, come on, get ready. Deuteronomy 15 and 14, watch this. Watch this. Deuteronomy 15 and 14. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock. Watch this. Out of your threshing floor and out of your wine press, as the Lord your God has, has blessed you, you shall give to him. He's blessed us. He's blessed us. He's been too good to us. And I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'll finish. I'll conclude. Let's stand. You going to play that keyboard? You going to look at it? You got to go read it because there's three types there's three types of people in the kingdom of God you got people that carry a bag they carry a bag and anything they can get in that bag they're going to try to hold on to they ain't never going to give anything they're going to hold on to it but I got scripture I'm not going to go dig through my notes to find it but it's in there 
But it says if you try to if you try to go and make it on your own and you don't allow God to be a part of your journey and you don't become a conduit, the word says there's holes in that bag. Everything you try to gather, look, you I said, look, a whole lot tonight. That's my feeling, that's my feeling word tonight. Haggai one and six. There we are, right there. Felt my help coming. It says if you got that bag and you try to put it, and you're just looking at the bag. God will allow things to break down to get your attention to let you know. So you got people, they got a bag, it's got holes in it. But then you got people that are basket people. That scripture, that scripture that says, that scripture that said press down, shaking together and running over. Jesus is talking about, about a man who, who, that's his field. He's the landowner. And the people that go, the workers that go glean in this field, they got a long way to walk. So they're not going to fill that basket all the way up. They're going to get just enough, and they're going to carry it in. But when they leave, that landowner lets the needy come in and the hungry that don't have anything. That's what he's talking about. That's what Jesus referenced. He said, and when they come in, he said they take that basket and they get all the grain they can get and they push that grain down in that basket and they shake it together and they literally when they're leaving the field there's so much grain in their basket that it's overflowing that's what I want to live and that's what I believe David said my cup is overflowing but then you got those that third group of people that understand that they're born They know nothing belongs to them. And I'm not talking just about money because that's, that's not my favorite topic to talk about. But I'm talking about every aspect of your life. You're a born. And the reason God can trust you to be a born because he trusted Joseph with the born. Joseph had to go through some things. He had to go through a prison and a pit. He was betrayed and turned on. But when he was finally elevated, the Pharaoh in Egypt said, you're going to take care of the storehouse. Because there's people that are going to die, Joseph, if I don't have the right man taking care of the barn. And because I can trust you with the barn, there's going to be a lot of people that would never have made it if you wouldn't have understood. Joseph, here, you need something here. You need some corn. You're starving. Your family's hungry. Here, let me give you what I can. I don't mind being a basket believer. But my prayer is one day that God will trust me with the barn. Because in the born is more than enough to help my community and to help a recovering addict that is broken and to feed somebody in need and to buy groceries for somebody that don't have the money to buy groceries and to reach for somebody that needs to be reached. I want God to be able to trust me with a blessed life. It's better to give. This is my prayer tonight. Every eye closed, every hand lifted. The Holy Ghost is moving through this place right now. I feel the Holy Spirit challenging me. If I can trust you with the little, if I can trust you with the little, I'll give you much. God, we, we want to be in alignment, not with religion, God. We don't want to be in alignment just with what a preacher says. But God, let us be in alignment with our time, our talent, and our treasure according to your word, God. God, I don't want to just be a consumer, God. I don't want to come and just take. I want to give, God. I want to bless others. God, I want to help broken people, God. God, you can trust me, God. I don't want to be 
somebody carrying on around a bag with a bunch of holes trying to get everything I can get God I want to be that that person with that basket and it's just overflowing God and people coming behind me can grab everything that they need to grab God I want to be trusted with the born 